Hello, hello. This is Cynthia. Welcome to the Taiwanese Diaspora and Friends podcast. This is on the Taiwanese Diaspora channel, and I am starting a new series called the Friendspiration series. Super excited to introduce you to different people in my life who are doing really incredible things in the arts, in entrepreneurship, and much more. My very first guest on this series is Stephanie Evans. We talked about a year ago in February of 2021, and then it took me a while to figure out if I wanted to set up a new channel, start a new series, or you know have new music, new intro, all this stuff, and it got way too in my head. So instead, I'm just going to put it out there and roll with it. Um, this is just a chat that I wanted to do with. Friends who are not affiliated with Taiwan or Taiwanese identity by any means, but think it would be a really fun talk about entrepreneurship and realizing uh, a dream that you've had a long, long time um, and realizing it to make it come true. Stephanie, welcome to the show. We're really excited to have you on. We met a couple of years ago after our MBA program um, in a program in Italy, and. At some point during that trip, you had told me that you had always wanted to start a leather goods brand. So we're fast forwarding a couple of years. You've done a lot of legwork on this. You're working full time at the moment, but also full time on building your business. And so, mm -hmm. really excited to talk about how you've done all of that and advice that you have for folks who are listening. Yeah, I guess let's start off with having you give us a quick introduction about yourself. And we'll go from there. Okay, cool. Well, I'm Stephanie Evans. I'm the founder of Pomoja, which is a leather goods brand that I just launched. But in terms of how I got to that journey, in undergrad, I went to Cornell University, and I knew I wanted to work in the fashion industry in New York City. You know, I thought that would be amazing. I grew up in a small town in Texas called Texas City, and that actually came to fruition. And while I was there, I knew I wanted to work for four years and then go back to business school. And entrepreneurship's always been back of mind for me. And I was just thinking about what type of product category would I want to dive into in this industry? And I thought about apparel, but you know, fast fashion is constantly dominating and I wanted something to be of great quality. And it becomes really expensive when you're trying to do apparel that's good quality. And so I was thinking about what's another category where people are going to spend money and it's something that they'll utilize every single day. And that's when I decided, okay, it makes a lot of sense to do leather goods. And while I was in business school, I started sketching and I was just figuring out what do I need to do to get from A to point B. And you know, it's it's been a long journey, but I'm here today and I'm really excited about it. So can you tell us more about your background? Are you coming from a design background? Um, did you take art classes growing up? Yeah, so I have no design background. I was a business major in undergrad. Um, and then I went into more of a merchandise buying and planning role while I was at Macy's.com um, straight out of undergrad. And I've always been in business oriented roles in this industry. And now 
I'm in a digital role. I'm a senior product manager, which is insane to me, but I mean, I'm doing it now and it's a really unique experience. But in terms of design, I, like in high school, I wanted to do um, theater arts, acting, but that class didn't fit for me in my schedule. And so I just took a regular art class and I was like, oh, wow, I can actually draw. <laughs> so um, I was just, I had thoughts in my mind in terms of how I wanted my product to look. So I just started sketching it and I, while I was in business school, I found a manufacturer out in LA. I went to UCLA for business school and I went to her business and just showed her what I drew. And I was just like, how do I make this a real thing? You know? And, um, she told me, well, you need to get the technical specifications down prior to working with the manufacturer, because we need to understand exactly what dimensions each leather piece needs to entail so that we can cut out um, for the sample or pre-production product. And so with that, I started doing some searching around and I went on, I don't know, on Google, I guess I found this website called People Per Hour. And I posted the job. I think I posted the job or I was just searching around to see what kind of talent was out there. And I came across this one individual whose work I was like, wow, that really aligns with my point of view in terms of the design aesthetic and whatnot. And I ended up hiring her to do the, um, the technical specs for me. And we did all of this via email and um, on WhatsApp. Like I didn't even talk to her on the phone or anything we didn't do any video chats like we just I don't know we just mesh very well and uh, she did an amazing job with sketching out and doing all of the technical specs for me and yeah I got to that first hurdle and um it worked out just great so then from the conceptual drawing that you first came up with to the technical spec stuff so I guess you're going from like a 3D concept to a 2D piece drawing, like you would maybe from like a sewing pattern? Yeah. So it was it was kind of a combination for the tech spec. It had to be like 2D and 3D drawings um, just so that she could lay out how the end product's going to look from a three-dimensional perspective but also just how the different components are going to look like from a 2D perspective so that the manufacturer knows um, the pattern to cut out prior to sewing together the pre-production sample. And how many prototypes did you have to go through before you had the design concept drawn up? Because you probably were like, I want to be able to fit a cell phone and a pen and whatever other things but not have it be too bulky or yeah a never ending bag like a tote bag so, so yeah in terms of prototyping um it it starts off like for me I was doing prototyping with paper and putting it all together to be like does this make sense in terms of the length and width of the product and then she was also doing the same thing as well on her end as she was putting together the specs 
And I wanted, after that step, I wanted to do like a leather prototype in New York City because I felt like I could quickly like meet up with somebody and look at the progress of the work and everything. And so I searched for somebody in New York to do the first prototype for me. And I thought it would be good, but it was a complete disaster. And like he put it together and I like, I didn't even take it with me. Like his finished product, I was just like, uh-uh, I don't want that. Like you can keep it, whatever. And <laughs> it was so bad. And I actually have it on my website um, in one of my blog posts, like the actual image of that sample. I was just like, oh my gosh, like, do you think somebody would actually buy a bag that looks like that? But um, that happened. And so I went back to the drawing board and I went back to um, Iwana, that's who I worked with in London to do the um, tech pack for me. And I asked her, can you can you just create the samples for me? Because I know that she also does that work. And she was like, sure. So she did that for me and it turned out amazing. So have you video chatted her since then? Yeah, yeah, we, we video chat um, and we know about each other's lives. Like she ended up having her second child since we've been working together, sends me pictures and we wish each other like happy holidays and all of that good stuff. So she's like an extension of my family right now. That's awesome. It's really, really tough to find a trustworthy, solid partner. Yeah. So you just launched a couple months ago. Yeah. How long was it from first concept to launching? And what were some of the challenges that you came across like was funding ever an issue so you told us about getting the yeah. there was a prototype trip up but were there other things that you thought would be pretty straightforward that ended up being a little bit more hassle or things that you didn't know about in anticipation yeah so I came up with the concept and started sketching while I was in business school and then after I graduated like I took a break a little bit because I was like, I need to focus on doing decently well with my full-time job. And um, also it's just like, I was trying to focus on paying off all of the credit card debt I accumulated being fun employed. Um, and I also took non-paid internships during business school. So yeah, had a lot of catching up to do. And uh, then I finally like went to the drawing board. So that was a gap because I didn't really have funding or money to continue to pursue early on. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to take this more seriously. And then I took out a personal loan where I was like, okay, I have money now. <laughs> so I have to do this. And I had the gap. I had you know, the slip up with the prototype sampling. And then um, in terms of finding my manufacturer, I did some reading around in terms of where are really good places in terms of around the world where leather manufacturing is done. 
And I learned that Ubrique Spain is kind of under the radar and a lot of luxury brands actually do their production there, but they don't say that it's made in Spain. They say it's made in Italy. Yeah. And so it's, it's interesting because my manufacturer is like, yeah, Chanel does their production a couple of doors down for some of their bags. Um, so I was just like, awesome. Sounds like a good place. Uh, but I was just, how I found them was Google search. I reached out to a couple of manufacturers. One of them said that they were at capacity, but they gave me this website that lists out so many different manufacturers. I think you can search by country or this may be Spain specific. I don't even remember. And so I found my manufacturer through that search site and um, we just hit it off in terms of, you know, the conversation, I had my questions ready in terms of what's the timeline, what's your pre-production cost, this is what I'm looking to create and um, manufacture for this first go-round, and also just learning more about their overall process and ensuring that they're delivering really good quality. And I also wanted to be involved throughout the process where, you know, we'd have calls, video calls where I would see what's happening while they're actually putting together the pre-production sample, what's going on in terms of the actual manufacturing process. So you'd send me videos, we'd do some live calls, like early in the morning before I start work. And um, yeah, it was, it was a really positive experience and um he's a great person and he's following my brand on instagram and pretty much likes everything <laughs> that i post um so yeah it's it's good i'm working with some really good people and that's also another thing that's driving me because it's like i also want to support their businesses as well um as my business continues to grow how much of your business school experience and um, your pre-business school job at in purchasing and merchandising informed what you were looking for in finding a manufacturing partner or finding partners in general? Yeah. Or did you rely more on your gut feel of like, this person gets it, this person doesn't? I would say in this case, it was more of a gut feeling based on my previous experiences to getting to where I was at at that point you know where I had the slip up in hiring the one person to do the prototype and then the great experience I had with my um, tech pack designer um, so I'd say based on that experience through my entrepreneurial journey to where I was at at that point um it was more of a gut feeling, which worked out. <laughs> there's so much like intellectualizing you can do in spreadsheets, but there's always mm -hmm. probably your gut knows best in a lot of these situations, right? Yeah. So have you gone out to visit the manufacturer in Europe at all? No, I haven't. And what's that process like? I haven't been because of COVID. <laughs> We did the manufacturing. I started my conversations prior to the whole 
outbreak happening. Um, but we didn't get to the actual manufacturing, the start of it until I don't even know, it was like the summer, but I certainly want to go and visit. Like it's, it looks like a beautiful place to be in Spain and also just to build that partnership with the team out there and, um, I think that would be awesome. And also just good in terms of providing content to my followers. <laughs> I love factory tours. So please, please, please post when you get there. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. And, you know, it's in Europe and you know the lifestyle out there. So it'll be in Spain. Like, yes, some good wine, some good eats. I'm looking forward to it. A few siestas. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What advice do you have for budding entrepreneurs? Um, and did you have mentors along the way that whose advice you found particularly interesting? A lot of the steps that you took, did you find that it was more trial and error? Because like no, no two paths are the same, right? Mm -hmm. What did you find to be helpful in your personal journey to becoming an entrepreneur? Yeah. Yeah, I think the hardest part about being an entrepreneur is just getting out there in the first place because for me it was like a dream that I've been thinking about for years and like I said in my mind I'm gonna launch this brand in 2020 and I said that like I put this on my business school application that I wanted to launch my own brand I didn't put a date to it and that was in 2014 when I applied but it felt so far away, you know, and I was, it, it's kind of hard in terms of just stepping out of your comfort zone, but like Nike, you just have to do it, just do it, you know, like that's what I would play in my mind all the time. I'm like, I have to hit this goal. I have no choice. Like this has to happen by 2020. And I was just kind of putting together this timeline of the big achievements and milestones that I have to hit in order to get there. And, you know, it's like this pandemic happened, but it wasn't going to stop me. Like maybe my cells are a little softer than what they would be. But at the end of the day, I've launched my brand and I'm really happy with the output, you know, so that's, that's what I would say to everyone who's considering entrepreneurship is just like, you're ultimately the driver of your own success. And who is going to have more faith and confidence in you other than yourself? So that's my advice there. And what do you say to the voice if you have it at all, like the negative self-talk or like the inner critic? Do you ever have that? And what do you say to that part of you? Yeah, I say I'm going to be my own boss real soon. I'll be able to pay myself. And that's that's what I say. I mean, because I do. Every now and then, it's just like, I'm not where I want to be, but I have to keep going on through this journey. You know, I have to put in the work to hit these goals that I have in mind. So it's, it's about never giving up. And 
you know, when I wake up for my paying job, I'm like, I'm not going to be here this much longer. But at the same time, in this short time frame that I'm looking to move on, I'm still going to deliver and be great at my full-time job. And I'm going to pick up and learn, you know, like I'm doing digital product management for e-commerce in the fashion retail industry. So I'm picking up and learning things that are going to be applicable for me as I grow my own business, you know? So, yeah. And okay. So naming your company, tell us about how you came up with Pomoja as the name. Sure. So I, I had another name for my company originally. Um, it was Emmy, which is E-M-I, and it means empowering, meaningful impact. And I randomly thought of this while I was in business school, and that's the name of my LLC. Um, I thought I was going to be able to get this for the trademark. But I filed my trademark application and it was denied due to likelihood of confusion. And that's because of the record company. I think Universal owns EMI. I don't know what they say if it's ME or EMI, but they have t-shirts that have it on there. And somehow that's likelihood of confusion. And <laughs> then there's also some handbag company that just uses fabric and it has this person's name and at the end it has emi and so they said that was another case as well as likelihood of confusion and i tried to dispute it but it didn't work and so i was like all right let me come up with another name and so i was just like I don't want to use a common English word because I feel like I'm going to end up in the same place that I ended up with trying to trademark Emmy. And then I thought about what I ultimately want to do with my brand. And I wanted to have social impact be part of it. And right now with Pomoja, with my bags that I have, we're working with the Kajua Initiative, which is in Kenya, and we provide 5% of proceeds to support young girls with their sexual health education and to provide sanitary pads that are reusable and made through upcycled fabric. And so I knew that I wanted to partner with a number of organizations, primarily in Africa, and so I was just thinking about, okay, what languages are in Africa? Um, what are some words that kind of relate to empowering and driving meaningful impact? And um, I was just doing a Google search and I came across Pomoja, which is Swahili for togetherness. And, you know, it's like, I ultimately want to build a community within my brand. Like I think about, my customer as this modern trailblazer, this person who is like breaking barriers and always thinking about doing things differently. And so that's, that was the word that I came up with. And I was like, all right, I, I felt my second trademark application. I also looked to see what existing organizations were trademarked under that name. And I didn't think that there was any competition there. So 
I continue with that name and I got my trademark approval. So it was quite a journey, but I'm really happy with the name at the end of the day. I, I think it's better than what I originally had. So I think things happen for a reason. And that's where we're at with Pomosia. I love it. Yeah. Let's talk about the social impact side. You just mentioned a little bit about what the company is doing. How did you go about picking your initiatives and um, organizations that you wanted to partner with? Yeah. And are you trying to become a B Corp? So in undergrad, I had this amazing classmate. We like combined forces and he wanted to climb Mount Kilimanjaro to raise awareness for obstetric fistula. And I didn't know what obstetric fistula was. And basically, it's a birth defect that happens with women who don't have the accessibility for healthcare while they're pregnant. And when they are giving birth, they are in labor for hours and days. And it usually ends up being unsuccessful birth where the child is stillborn and it leaves a hole in the birth canal. And as a result, um, she ends up having uncontrollable, like when she has to go to the bathroom, like she just ends up sometimes peeing in public or, you know, whatnot. And they usually become outcast to society because they don't see it as acceptable you know, and it's, it's a surgery that costs, I, I think it's like roughly 120 to $150. But obviously, they don't have the funds to have these type of surgeries, and they become outcasts and live in their own separate communities, and end up just dying, um, for the most part. And this happens in developing countries. And I wanted to work with an organization that kind of supports it in that sense, um, because I can't necessarily afford to pay for a surgery per purchase, but I was looking at organizations that kind of help in terms of driving preventative measures to kind of diminish and make this an obsolete issue in the future. And so that's what Kajua Initiative does in terms of creating that awareness inside of communities so that the girls have the resources they need in terms of their sexual reproductive rights and also their sanitary pads. And one of the interesting things that I learned is these girls are getting their sanitary pads from sexual partners. Like they will literally have sexual intercourse just to get sanitary pads because they can't afford it. They don't have access to it. And sometimes because they don't have it, they can't continue their primary education. So that is a huge gap in terms of resources and, um, I just really like what the Kajua Initiative is doing. And yeah, just trying to see what we can do as far as building awareness and driving social impact with those type of organizations that are out there. That's really incredible. I 
read a book about that was talking about uh, maternal health, and that's how I first heard about fistula occurring during birth. I don't remember the name of the book, but I'll have to find it. Yeah. Because um, it was really eye-opening. And I also recently heard on NPR that there's a girl who's sewing sanitary pads, like reusable sanitary. So one thing, I've never heard of reusable sanitary pads until very recently. Yeah. Um, and so I guess like all the people who are making masks during COVID, there's also this group that's making sanitary pads and teaching women how to sew and like starting a program that way to support women. Mm-hmm. So amazing, Stephanie. Yeah, and that's that's the same thing that um, they're doing as well. It's a part of this company called Soka Kenya, which does textiles in Africa. And so they use their leftover scraps to um, create these sanitary pads. And then they created this organization for the communities. And not only that, they're educating males and boys about the importance of this as well, because it's not going to be a success if it's a one-dimensional program that's just targeted to women. Men have to be aware of this as well. And when women succeed, everybody succeeds at the end of the day. Have you read Melinda Gates' book about women empowerment and education? The Moment of Lift? Yeah. Yeah. I started it. I haven't finished it. It's really good. Okay. Oh, I love this. Oh, yeah. I didn't answer your question on B Corp. In terms of B Corp, I've definitely thought about it. And it's, it's something that I'll reconsider, I think maybe a few years down the line, because I want it to be, I want to make sure that we're set up properly and doing everything right in terms of being a B Corp. But definitely something that I've thought about for sure. I love our generation trying to change the world in in ways that still sort of fit with like the existing mold because it's really hard to take down like mm-hmm. big monstrous companies. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. And there's so there's just so many there's so many people who enter entrepreneurship in the hopes of being that unicorn company, you know? Yeah. And it's like that's that's not what it should be. It should be about your passion and desire to find a solution to a problem. Problems, yeah. Yeah. I like that. We talked about marketing. We talked about business conception. Okay, let's talk about your first product. Okay, what about it? Can you describe it to us? Because this is an audio podcast. We'll have a picture of it on the Instagram account later. Yeah, sure. Um, Let me get it. I can get it. So the first product that I have is the Nia. Obviously, I have to have it in a dust bag. (laughs) And this is, I call it like a three-in-one type of bag. And one of the things that I wanted to have as an underlying statement for my brand is creating multifunctional product that is designed very well because I see multifunctional product, but it's basic, you know, and it doesn't really look good in my opinion. So I really tried to add this 
nice design element and make it as luxury as possible, which is why I'm doing production in Spain. And also just great overall. And so this is a Nia and it's a three-in-one bag and it can be used as a wallet, a crossbody, or a clutch. And so in here, one of the things that we did was create this added functionality where there's three pockets in the front and also it opens up a little bit too so you can add i don't know cards extra cards or cash in the front to easily access because you know you have these you have common cards that you're using like if you're in a city where there's public transportation like you're constantly pulling out a metro card or whatnot you can have it in here in the front um and then also it has your pockets and your coin area, and then also your card slots in the back, and obviously your cash. Here are the D-rings, so you can attach the chain, which comes with the bag. And yeah, that's pretty much this Nia bag. It's $249. It comes with a tote as well, a canvas tote, and... Uh, I just added that on because I feel like, you know, if for me today, I'm not going to many places and all I really need is this wallet. And if I have extra things to carry, I don't need to have a handbag. Like I just need a canvas tote where I can quickly toss in like a notebook or something in there. And so I just added that on just thinking about, you know, the end to end customer experience. So I try to make it as thoughtful as possible it's beautiful thank you as someone living in the city who has like a bunch of random things that you need on a daily basis it's nice to have a separation for yeah daily cards versus like longer longer term things yeah exactly and that came about just working with the designer and building out the technical specs and she was just like what do you think about this? And I was like, that's amazing. Yes, let's add that. So that just came out of really good cross collaboration with my partner in terms of building out that added design element and functionality. And does it fit a phone? Yes, it fits the phone. I'd show you, but I'm talking yeah. on my phone right now. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's hard to find like, a smaller crossbody bag that can also fit a phone that's in the case because yep. of the way, like the size, and it's like off by a couple centimeters and you're like, ah. Yep, it definitely does. Cool, so we're coming up on time. Is there anything else you would like to share with the audience about your journey and um, other things to take into consideration as a budding entrepreneur or about your own personal journey in either like the identity space or being able to work full-time and doing this on the side, but really putting in a lot of time and effort in both. Yeah. yeah. I, I would just end by saying like, never give up on your dreams. Like it's a tough journey, but for me, I love it. Like I love every moment of it. And I spend my extra time on the weekdays putting in work for my brand on the weekend, I plan out what I'm doing for my business. And 
it's time well spent. And I know that it's a return on investment on myself. So yeah. Thank you so much, Stephanie. It's been such a pleasure hearing about your journey and really excited to share with all the listeners as well. Where can they find you? So on social media, on I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Pamoja Bags, P-A-M-O-J-A Bags. And my website is www.pamojabags.com. So pretty much the same handle. That's where you can find us. And everyone should go out and buy Nia bag right now and share with us how you like it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Stephanie, thank you so much. This is really fun. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you. My first podcast. Woo! <laughs> and that's a wrap for this episode of Taiwanese Diaspora and Friends, part of the New Friendspiration series. If you have any comments or feedback, feel free to reach out to me on social. I am at T-W-D-I-A-S-P-O-R-A on Instagram. And that's probably the best way to contact me. All right. I will see you next time.